This is episode number 287 with Michael Trainer. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Michael Trainer is an active speaker and social impact entrepreneur. He is a co-founder of Global Citizen, a movement and music festival dedicated to ending extreme poverty in accordance with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The festival brings together over 70,000 people annually on the Great Lawn in Central Park in New York City. With musical performances by Beyonce, Jay-Z, Coldplay and other leading artists, which brings together world leaders from the Senator General of the UN to the President of the World Bank. The festival has leveraged the voices of more than 10 million global citizens to raise billions of dollars in new commitments for programs serving the world's poorest people. He is the founder of Peak Mind, which brings together the thought leaders of our time together to inspire a new version for leadership amidst the challenges and opportunities of our time. Peak Mind launched with His Holiness the Dalai Lama on the occasion of his 80th birthday. Peak Mind leverages content from the world's thought leaders to inspire leadership from the inside out. As a keynote speaker, he has presented at UN General Assembly, spoken on the global citizen stage, as well as leading institutions from around the country from Harvard University to Google headquarters. Michael and his work have been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, New York Times, Inc., as well as Good Morning America, NBC, ABC, and The Wall Street Journal. He is passionate about systems and technologies with global implications for social impact. He was a graduate fellow in international affairs and development at Columbia University and is a Fulbright scholar. And in today's episode, we chat about his story from living with indigenous tribes in Sri Lanka to creating Global Citizen and Peak Mind to where he is today. We also chat about what is Global Citizen and the impact that it's had on the world, how his dad getting dementia led him to create Peak Mind, how he hosted the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday, what meeting the Dalai Lama taught him, how to embed your learnings, how to think big, why knowing what season you are in life can help you create big things, the key to going big, the battery and black hole analogy for our relationships. I absolutely loved his take on this and I will be borrowing this analogy. His definition of success, what he attributes his success to, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 287. 
But before we dive into today's epic episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it is a five-star review from Zoe Lu, and it's titled The Best Podcast for Living. And it says, I love this podcast. Melissa's amazing presence, energy, combined with the hugely knowledgeable guests she has on, creates this highly informative podcast. This introduction to all the different topics on life, love, health, and wealth leaves you wanting to learn more. And you always can because Melissa leaves references, resources, and links for extra self-learning. If you're looking for motivation and guidance to live your best life, then start listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, Zoe. I'm so grateful for that beautiful review. And as a little thank you, send me a screenshot of the review to hello at Melissa Ambrosini and I want to gift you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. And that's for anyone who emails me in a screenshot of their review. I want to gift that to you. And if you want to get my Bursting with Love guided meditation, you can leave a review on Amazon for Mastering Your Mean Girl or Open Wide or both and send me a screenshot and I will send that over to you as a little thank you for taking the time to do that review. I'd be so grateful. And now, without further ado, let's bring on the incredible Michael Trainer. Welcome, Michael. I'm so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? For breakfast this morning, I actually had a a, a trail mix, uh, which consisted of almonds, dark chocolates, and I had a lion's mane coffee with uh, delicious lavender nut milk. Oh my gosh. That sounds like the best breakfast. Lavender nut like what? <laughs> what is this? Tell me, I need to get some lavender nut milk in my life. I just discovered it because I started, uh, there's a gym over here in the US called Orange Theory. So I'm now alternating hot yoga. And then on other days I do cardio and uh, weight training. And so a friend told me there's a Trader Joe's just next to my gym. And I usually go to Whole Foods. Anyway, long story short, Trader Joe's had this lavender nut organic nut milk and i was like i am about this let's go i am all about this too and next time i'm in la let's go there i am so excited to try it and just to give a little bit of context to my listeners we recently met in real life when we were in la when nick and i were in la and we came on your podcast peak mind and we were talking about conscious relationships, which I cannot wait to listen to that episode. So that was so much fun. So we got to meet in person, which was awesome. And now we get to do this interview together on my show. But to give people a bit of background on you, can you tell us your story, how you got to where you are today, doing the work you now do? How does Global Citizen come in? How does Peak Mind come in? Feel free to just go as deep as you want, but can you give us a little bit of context on all of that? Certainly. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was so lovely to have you and Nick at the house. And I can't wait for for your your listeners to listen to uh, all the gems you dropped on conscious relationships. So background for me is I started off actually living with a traditional healer in Sri Lanka. So I had very rare access to a traditional healer in Sri Lanka that introduced me really to the power of community. So traditionally in that culture, there's there was no word for privacy and there was no word for possession. 
And what that really introduced me to was the power of community to bring people back into balance. So in that context, health was really seen as the integrity of the whole. And I think in our individual oriented lives, it was very powerful to see a community and culture that was really constructed around the collective and the community, as opposed to the interest of the individual. Now, fast forward, I wound up leveraging some of those insights into co-creating with a small but powerful group, something called the Global Citizen Festival. Global Citizen is a movement and music festival that really leverages the power of community to create a new narrative around our shared humanity and the ending of extreme poverty in our lifetime. So we really want, we saw that there was kind of this prevailing narrative of, of guilt and shame that was like, give up your cup of coffee and we'll help this poor child in Africa that we really felt just didn't serve our, our collective humanity. And so we said, what if we could make it so that people actually celebrated that humanity and actually learned and took action. And based on that learning and taking action, we don't ask for people's money. We ask for sort of their hearts and minds and their actions. They were, were basically given points and those points entered them in, into a lottery. And then based on that, they could actually win tickets to a festival we host on the Great Lawn in Central Park. So 70,000 people gathered. We've hosted everyone from Jay-Z, Beyonce, Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder. And, and then we use those voices to get world leaders to make multi-million and now multi-billion dollar commitments on behalf of the world's poor. So we launched that platform, Global Citizen. It has grown into an incredibly successful platform this year, actually. Although I'm no longer with them full time, it's going to be across five continents. It's going to be one of the largest festivals of its kind, kind of a live aid for 2020, if you will. The last one actually just went in, there, in New York and we held one for uh, Nelson Mandela's 100th anniversary with Oprah and Coldplay and Jay-Z, Beyonce. It was incredible. Billions raised. It's now over $30 billion it's been raised for programs serving the world's poor. Unfortunately, after our third year, my father was diagnosed with dementia. And I realized, well, I was really focusing on diseases like polio and malaria that were endemic to the developing world. There's this whole new epidemic of disease that you'll see in places like Australia, we have in the US, China, where nearly half the population is pre-diabetic and dementia was being uh, called type 3 diabetes. And so I just delved deeply into a lot of what you talk about on your show, which is how can we live a healthy lifestyle? Because there's this whole epidemic of lifestyle-borne disease. And ostensibly, I got very intrigued by that. I got very intrigued by the ways in which we could utilize the mind to create a new reality. And while I'm super passionate about creating change in the world and transformation in the world, I believe that there is a requisite internal shift necessary to hold that space. And so Peak Mind really is about that internal transformation. So we launched with His Holiness the Dalai Lama on his 80th birthday and have hosted folks like Deepak Chopra, Eckhart Tolle, and now host a podcast with epic humans like the folks I just mentioned, like yourself, like a variety of others with the intention of really raising consciousness and then hosting uh, transformative retreats as well as large scale events to basically gestate that transformation we want to see in the world from the inside out. Mm, I love it. So good. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions for you. Global citizen, Beyonce, like the impact that that had on poverty in the world. So amazing. Well done. Just such a huge achievement. And now with what you do with Peak Mind. So tell me, when your dad got dementia, what was the thought process that you had that led you to Peak Mind? Like, was it there's got to be something else? Like, what was the thought process that you had around that that led you to create Peak Mind? 
Yeah, great question. I'd love to tell you that it was extremely linear and and decisive. And the truth of the matter is, and I think probably many listening can relate to this, I felt quite lost. I knew that Global Citizen was, we had just now were on firm footing. We had secured great support from the Gates Foundation. The whole time I'd been building Global Citizen, my father had been battling cancer, prostate cancer. But when he got diagnosed with dementia, I just felt there was like a cancer I felt could be cured. And I was very, I'm very, very close with him. But dementia was is you know at, at present incurable, and so I said, Dad, I, I want to take you anywhere in the world you want to go. And he and he's such a humble man, so he he wouldn't ask me to take him anywhere. But I said, All right, we'll pack your bags, and uh, I surprised him with a trip to South Africa. And there we went, and we you know we visited Mandela's prison cell, and we 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 traveled through the wine country. And he's such a lover of history, and it was so meaningful for us to spend that time together. And I think actually, in some ways, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. Of course, the professional accomplishments are beautiful, but that designated time with your loved ones is so, so rich. And so on that trip, I actually decided that I was going to leave Global Citizen with the folks that I had launched it with and take a little time to really get clear. And I wasn't clear. Peak Mind was yet not even an idea. And so what I did was I did a 30-day meditation retreat where I really just kind of cleansed myself. I, I was meditating, you know, and, and eating clean and really just actually seeking for, if you will, a download or a vision. And I've done a variety of different modalities to seek visions. I've done vision quests. I've done fasts. I've done a variety of different, you know, processes. But this really, you know, it's going to sound, it's going to sound wild, but literally on the 30th day, I mean, you've been to my house. I live right on the ocean. It was a cold day in November, and I went out to the ocean, and it was pitch black, dark, and I had just finished my 30th day, and I went to the edge of the sea, and I literally started to cry. And I wasn't sad, but I just felt this kind of deep release, and I had this intuitive hit to jump in the ocean. And it was freezing. I mean, we're talking about the middle of winter, but I was like, all right, you know, I got to do it. So I stripped naked, jump in middle of the night into the Pacific Ocean and actually just had this just like kind of like awakening moment. And I had this crazy idea, intuitive hit. I was like, you know what? I'm friends, fortunately, with uh, with Nelson Mandela's grandsons. And we had been talking about a campaign and realized that the Mandela Day is actually almost about a week away from the Dalai Lama's birthday. And so I've been thinking about like, what, what could it look like to bring together, you know, these incredible agents of change. And so to make a very long story short, I just had this idea. I didn't know how, but I wanted to host His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, because I wanted to bring about awareness. I mean, this is pre sort of meditation, having the kind of heyday we're seeing right now. I wanted to really bring awareness to the possibilities of the mind to really transform people's lives. And at that point that we're talking back in 2014, you know, Harvard had just released studies showing that you could literally decrease the size and activity of your amygdala, increase the size and activity of your hippocampus. So you could literally change your brain, not just the activity in your brain, but actually literally change the physical structure and activity in your brain using as little as eight weeks of mindfulness. So this was just one of the first anchors that I felt I could really hold on to that I knew could have a transformative impact on people's lives. And I was so interested because as we all know, the mind is our portal to our worlds, right? It's where our thoughts and our feelings and then our requisite actions unfold in this beautiful gift that we're all given called life. And so for me, it was 
it was really this idea of, I don't know, I don't know what's going to come from it, but I was committed to this crazy idea of hosting the Dalai Lama. And it happened to be his 80th birthday coming up in July. And so I declared it, had no reasonable reason to think I could do it. And through grace and a, a lot of hard work, uh, fortunately, was able to pull it off. What do you mean host him? What did you do? I created an event. So I reached out to a variety of different folks that I thought might have access to someone that was a touch point in his world, right? I mean, there's no phone number to call the Dalai Lama. So fortunately, and I know you've had Elliot because I've listened on your show, Elliot Biznow from Summit Series. I reached out to some of the Summit community, found a gentleman that actually had grown up almost as an adoptive son of the Dalai Lama, was not a monk, but lived in D.C., and through a various a variety of actually auspicious serendipitous events, I had introduced the founder of Earth Day to Global Citizen, and we wound up hosting a festival in D.C. on Earth Day, which is coming up. The, the 50th anniversary is coming up next month, but we hosted five years ago a concert that attracted 250,000 people in Washington, D.C., and so I brought the gentleman that had grown up with the Dalai Lama to that concert with the idea of hosting the Dalai Lama. And he, of course, I think many people pitch people on, on hosting the Dalai Lama, but he came to that event, saw that it's success. And we had, you know, Mary J. Blige and Common and all these incredible performers. And he saw that it was obviously done with, you know, well and with integrity. And so he agreed to work with me to host this event. And so I just remember after that agreement, I get a letter. I could literally, I could send it to you. I have a letter with the letterhead from Tibet saying the Dalai Lama will come to celebrate his 80th birthday in Los Angeles. And that letter was a, was what I all I needed basically to then pull in the incredible performers and all the people that we then hosted. And that was the official launch of the month. Wow. When was this? What year was this? 2015. 2015. I wish I was there. I wish I was there. Totally. <laughs> So you got to meet the Dalai Lama. What was that like? It was one of the most profoundly beautiful moments of my life for a variety of reasons. So the impetus, a great deal of my why was I wanted to create a memory with my dad while he still had the cognitive faculties to create that memory. So there was a beautiful spiritual lesson in that for me because uh, I learned that it wasn't about creating anything. You know, I could have just as easily taken him to, for a walk in the park and he would have been just as proud. But at the time, I was very much around this notion of achievement being attached to sort of pride and making him proud. But what was interesting was it was profoundly moving for my mother. My mother cried. She's a very strong, tough woman. And she cried in a way I've never seen her cry before. And she said she felt like she had just met Jesus. And and I, I will say in a similar way for me, I mean, one part of the emotion was I had spent seven months. And and by the way, like even to that moment, there was it was not sure that he, he would show I me mean, he was 80 years old. You're talking about someone who's traveling around the world. There were geopolitical forces I wasn't aware of. And so, you know, for me, it was really a demonstration of the power of commitment because I had declared a vision. I put everything I had on the line to see it come to, to fruition, but it very easily could have been an extraordinarily ego humbling exercise because if he hadn't showed up, there's no, there's no replacement. You can't say, oh, you know, like, well, you know, it's only this good to come, but, you know, and, and I'd already invited, you know, I mean, we had Forrest Whitaker flying in on his own dime to come to, you know, Oscar winner deliver the, the opening remarks. 
500 people, a ranch. I was, you know, liable personally six figures. So it was a very strong exercise and commitment. So that, that, that led to a little bit of the relief of then seeing him. But aside from them, just seeing him, first of all, walk forward. And then I moved in and I went to sort of humble myself. And he slowly grabbed my hands and he placed his third eye against my third eye. And as he did, I literally just started to just tear, just like tears just streamed down my face. And it was just this moment of total surrender. And also just a confirmation of if you, if you commit to something and it's bigger than yourself, the power of all of our visions to create and manifest beyond our reckoning. It was... It was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. And I will say also, not just for me, the reflection I got from several is beyond anything he shared in terms of, and, and, and uh, you know, your, your listeners are more than welcome. I actually have a meditation. He gave us a ver- the gift of an extraordinarily unique meditation, which I'm happy to send or link to or people can find it on my podcast. What he shared was profound, but the most profound aspect of the experience was his way of being. Like the joy, he literally, as he walked into this, and I, and I intentionally held it outdoors and made it a very intimate environment, but he literally stopped at the leaf of a palm tree and he, and he, and he connected with the leaf of this tree. And I have this, just this memory of him literally like connecting to the tree as if it was the value of a person, you know, and every person he came across, young, old, celebrity, non-celebrity, didn't matter. Everyone was treated equally with a smile and with grace. And I think that was one of the greatest teachings I've received was just the level of his beingness. And there was a true healing for me in just being in his presence. And the moment that I met him and the moment that he left, I cried on both occasions. So it was one of the more profound meetings of my life. Mm, That is so beautiful. Yeah, I can really feel the impact that that had on you. Even if there were not many words exchanged, I mean, were there many words exchanged or was it more just his pure presence and essence that really impacted you? Or did he share some words? Yeah, he shared words. He gave me a kata, you know, the prayer scarf. So literally as I bowed down, I'm standing there with Forrest Whitaker and and he, and interestingly enough, he came to me first. I didn't even anticipate that. And I bowed and he you know, he, he shared words. He gave me this kata scarf. He allowed me to introduce my family, which was incredibly powerful. It was also like a very powerful moment because my father was already fairly advanced. So he didn't kind of recognize what was going on. So there's this moment where the photographer, there was a, a photographer that came to take a photo of my family and, and his holiness. And my dad, actually, this is a, this is a very kind of vulnerable share, but my father wasn't facing the photographer because he didn't really understand what was happening. And the Dalai Lama, it's this incredible sequence because I have it all documented in film, sort of points over my father's shoulder to show him where the camera's facing. And my dad still doesn't recognize what's going on. So the Dalai Lama literally takes my dad's hand and bows to touch his hand with his head. And it's this incredible moment for me of just like seeing my father, who was the motivation and the impetus for me to host this event, being blessed by the Dalai Lama. So it, yes, he shared words, but he shared so much more. And just that level of compassion and just the just the, the synergies and synchronicities that happened as a result. I mean, 
there's an artist that you actually, we have a picture which we can actually share, but there's a picture in my living room that was gifted to me by an artist, Banksy's protege, Mr. Brainwash, which is of the Dalai Lama. And his whole thing is life is beautiful. But unbeknownst to him, Aloe Black, who was performing, sang the song, Love is the Answer, which was the exact message that the Dalai Lama delivered. The entire talk was around love and the possibility of love and the power of compassion and how each of us in our own way can touch the life of one person or, you know, or, and the ripple effect of, of just literally touching the life of one person. So the song that was sang was called Love is the Answer. The painter who created a piece that we held at the altar literally unbeknownst to him, spray painted love is the answer. And then the Dalai Lama spoke love is the answer, none of them knowing of the other's message. So it was just this incredible alignment of, of a message and, 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 and a day that was totally oriented around love and compassion. And the teachings and the wisdom that you got from him, how do you implement them in your everyday life? How do you make sure you are remembering that wisdom? Because I feel like whenever we have big impacts like that or experiences where whether it's with the Dalai Lama or someone else or whether it's even just reading a book or listening to a podcast, it's very easy to get super inspired in the moment and then we go back to our everyday life how do you and what do you do to remember the teachings and the lessons that you got in that moment? Yeah, I think that's a very astute point. I think many of us are used to chasing what would be called the ecstasies or the ecstatic moment, right? And that was definitively an ecstatic moment. For me, and I think for many of us, the work, however, is in the integration right? Like you do a powerful retreat or you have, you know, one, one, a once in a lifetime moment like that, you know, it's, it's, you, you kind of feel the afterglow, but the trick is, you know, how does one apply those tools in everyday life? And I remember, so when I lived in Sri Lanka, I was surrounded also by, by monastics and did, you know, deep Vipassana meditation retreat, etc. And it's sort of, in a way, when you're in the forest, it's, it's at times, it's in a way easier to calm the mind. I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier than when you go into the village, there's this juxtaposition between the forest dwelling and the village dwelling monk. And in the village, you're besieged by the minutia of daily living and the suffering that surrounds you. And, and so it's a little bit harder to find center amidst the, the stimuli that is all around us. And I think that's apropos for modern day living, right? We all live these 21st century lives and we're, we're besieged by distractions. And so for me, it's around, you know, holding, you know, the Dalai Lama, part of the, the way I hold that is I literally have his image on my altar. I have that kata scarf he gave me on the head of my bed. So the energy of that is, is in my sort of heart and in my space. But then I also apply the practice. Like I, I use it as a, a koan, if you will, or a, a, an anchor in my meditation practice. So I have a daily meditation practice. I'm also it sends beyond the Dalai Lama. There's, there's other figures that I've met that totally, I'll give you a, a quick example. The gentleman by the name of Wilfred Massena that I met in Haiti right after the earthquake, I was volunteering. And this gentleman had lost his leg the day of the earthquake and he carried it for a week. 
to try to get it reattached. And of course, at that stage, it, unfortunately, it was gangrenous. And I was with him the day he got his prosthesis. So he got this fake leg. And most of the people were just totally reckoning with the fact that they would never again walk in the same way that, that, that they had their whole lives and that they had lost this essential part of themselves. Wilfred was like he had won the lottery. It was like literally within half an hour, he's kicking a soccer ball and breakdancing. And he turns his welding skills into literally turn, learning how to make prosthesis for kids who had lost limbs in Haiti. And he starts a soccer league for, for men who had lost their limbs. And then, he, and then he turns the soccer league into for women and children who had lost their limbs. And then he comes to the U.S. and trains servicemen returning from Iraq and Afghanistan and how to play soccer when they had lost their limbs. So when I get into a place of, that victim mind or that victim consciousness, I, I go back to thinking about Wilfred. Or when I go back to moments of feeling, oh, this is profoundly unjust, I go back to thinking about those moments with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And I think to me, it's just thinking about whoever those individuals are that are most inspiring for you, that bring you back to center. Who are those people? And having them as, as almost as allies, however you want to think about it, guardian angels, whatever, whatever resonates with you based on your own beliefs and worldview. To me, those are the moments and the individuals I go back to when I find myself falling out of center to bring me back. So beautiful. I love it. Wow. That's such a beautiful story about Wilfred. It's all about perspective and what lens you choose to look at life through. It's that glass half empty or half full type of thing. And yeah, it's so powerful. So thank you for sharing. The thing that I love about you, one of the things I love about you is you have this ability to think really big. You know, global citizen is not a small feat. You know, peak mind and even hosting the Dalai Lama and all the things that you've done, you have this go big, think big, make a huge impact mentality. Have you always had that is my first question. And if not, how can we take our thinking from this small, minute way of being to thinking really on a larger scale? Great question. It's actually really appropriate for me right now because sort of leading from a place of vulnerability, it's interesting. I was with a dear friend just last week, actually, on Thursday, I had interviewed Moby for my podcast, and we were out for dinner at his restaurant afterwards. And my friend said to me, she gave, gave me a, 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 an unsolicited piece of feedback. She's like, Michael, that, that was amazing, but I think you're playing small. And I was like, okay, that wasn't really what I was expecting. But I think many of us do at times. And, and I would, if I were speaking authentically, I feel like Amidst my accomplishments, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, I think is such a great book. I'm sure you've read it. I recommend it to everyone in your audience. You know, she, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. I'm guessing many have listened, you know, incredible hits that was a perennial bestseller. And, you know, when you create something that's that big, you can get stuck in not wanting to create again for fear that nothing you ever create will be as quote unquote big. I had a bit of that when I decided to leave Global Citizen because in some ways, likely nothing I will create again will be in a way that big, quote unquote. But that doesn't prevent me from having big thinking. I've just sort of changed the geography in which I'm operating. And I think for me, for those listening, 
I think sometimes we get caught in playing small. And sometimes I actually think that that's appropriate. For me, for example, when I left Global Citizen, I did deep, deep healing work around what was going on with my dad. And I think it was appropriate to actually step away. You know, I think the best analogy I can use is I think all of us have seasons in life. And nature is my great teacher. We have summer, and that's a time of activity and being out in the world. And we have fall when things kind of are meant to fall away. And then we enter into winter where it's a bit of time of rest and reflection and hibernation. Or if you're into sports, you know, you have the off season and you have the regular season, then you have the playoffs where you're going hard. And for me during Global Citizen, you know, there's there's a lot of insights from that. One was I, I wound up playing with great teammates. And we wound up going into a playoff season that lasted, for me, four years. At at that time, then, when I had family, which was deeply connected to my own values, I knew that I also needed to make a shift into a different season in life. And so I think it's appropriate first, no matter what your vision, to assess what season you are in, to recognize and honor that season, and then to really, from that place, plan commensurate with what is feasible. So for me, I know to speak authentically, my dad, you know, I I don't know when he will pass, but he is close to his transition. And I had an idea for a very large scale campaign that I actually wanted to run around Earth Day. And I had a very intuitive hit that now was not the time. That doesn't mean I will not live into that vision in the future, but it wasn't the right season. So for me, I think I have big visions. I have big dreams. I have playoff style or summer style seasons that I have that I'm committed to creating, but I'm also waiting for the right time. So I think pairing that timing with opportunity and then the right people, those are like the magical ingredients, right? It's like, who's your team? You know, Harvard did some profound research, which I'm actually going to include in my next book, which is really around the power of our relationships and how we relate in, in the 21st century. But, but basically, that research articulated that the greatest corollary to your long-term health and happiness is the caliber of your long-term relationships. And so for me, I think in any vision, if you're looking to go big, it's about surrounding yourself with the people who you trust that also give you very real feedback but are committed to pushing you beyond the version of yourself you're living from now. Uh, Because without question, the vision will not unfold like we think it will, and it will require aspects of ourself that have yet to sort of unfurl or be born yet. And so for me, to answer the question in in the way that that resonates, I guess, for me at the moment, it's really thinking about what season you're in, knowing what that season is, and then Knowing what the scale of your vision can be, how do you set yourself up for that vision to to win and to come to fruition, especially if it's big? And knowing then the ingredients of when's the right timing commensurate with your season to launch that off and setting it up to win by surrounding yourself with the right people and the right practices and, and the ways of nurturing yourself and finding center that we spoke of a little earlier to keep you on track when things blow you off course, because inevitably they will. And it kind of circles all the way back to what we mentioned at the very start, which is what you learned in Sri Lanka, which is about community, the surrounding yourself with the inspiring people. It is such a key point to health and happiness. It is part of the holistic wellness puzzle. The people that you surround yourself with are so important. 
and you are the sum of the five most prominent people in your life. And I know some people might be thinking, oh dear. And then other people might be like, yes, that's awesome. You know, the people that are in my life are incredible. So if you have people in your life that unhealthy relationships that are bringing you down, this doesn't mean you have to be horrible and dump them. That's not what we're saying. How I like to visualize it is, you know, giving energy. So we give energy in every interaction that we have. And I like to just direct my energy toward those relationships that are really inspiring me, that are encouraging me to be the best version of myself and just not directing my energy in the relationships where it's not. So it's just about energy direction. And that really, really helps me. This is not about being mean. This is not about dumping friends over text message. That is not what we're talking about. It's about energy direction. Totally. There's an analogy that I like to use that people can kind of, uh, kind of a mind key that they can lock onto, which is batteries and black holes. Who are the people in your life that feel like batteries, that charge you up when you're with them? You feel invigorated, inspired. You have ideas of all the things you want to create. And who are the folks that are in your life that feel like black holes, that suck you, that bring you down, that are, that are takers? Now, to be frank, sometimes we have family that are black holes. So it isn't to say that you have to cut out black holes or, or even some people can shift. You know, I think if someone's not family and is a consistent taker, it is important to recognize that, you know, it may not serve you because our one precious resource on this planet is time and it's finite. So, you know, invest in spending time with people that lift you up. But, and to your point, exactly. I mean, you know, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. I mean, there's actually biological corollaries for that, which we spoke about uh, on our episode. But but also, you know, that, that old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, you know? And I think uh, it's it's so imperative, which is part of the reason I started my podcast. It, it's, it's also what led me to meet you. And that is, how do I reach out to and how can I be of service to? And I think that's the real key, right? If you lead with service, how can I be of service to the people that inspire me. And in doing so, you cultivate a whole new garden of relationships. Mm, Totally. I don't remember who said this, but one of my mentors once said that you should have people that are a few chapters ahead of you in this game called life. You should have people that are a few chapters behind you, and you should have people that are in the same chapter. And so you can inspire the people that are behind you. You can you know, relate to the people that are in the same chapter, and then you can be inspired by the ones that are a few chapters ahead of you. And so you kind of have to have these three layers of people in your life. And, you know, they all serve a purpose. And I think it's really beautiful to kind of look at, well, where are these people at? And where can I show up more for them? Where can I serve? Where can I support? It's really important. And, you know, ultimately, when we get to this end of this life, it's the relationships, it's the connections, it's how much did we love? Did we love with our whole hearts? Did we hold back? Did we withhold love? You know, these are the questions that we're going to be pondering, not, oh, I should have checked more emails. I should have, you know, (laughs) I should have posted more on Instagram. Like these are not the questions that we're going to 
ponder when we get to the end of our life. It'll be about the relationships. And I talk so much about this in my book, Open Wide, just the impact on the relationships in our life and what they do to our life. And not just the relationship with others, your lover, your friends, your family, but your relationship with yourself as well, which is equally as important. I think what you mentioned there is so astute and on point. For me, I do an exercise, which is just anyone listening can do, which is really visualizing your eulogy. You know, like if you were to think about, uh, and, and unfortunately in the West, we're, we're very averse to thinking about death. But I, I literally have a coin that was given me uh, to me by Ryan Holiday that says memento mori, which is the old Stoic creed, which is basically to remember you're going to die. And, and the Stoics use that as an impetus for living. And it was the same in Sri Lanka. The monks that I learned from would literally meditate in front of the skeletons of their teachers. And what it is, is it's an impetus for knowing always the impermanence of each moment and therefore the value of each moment. And when you, exactly as you said, if you think about life from the perspective of what are you going to care about on your deathbed, it's not going to be the Instagram followers. You're not going to care if you have Lamborghinis in your driveway. It's what quality experiences did I share with those I loved the most? Totally, totally agree. And something that I do ponder a lot as well is our mortality. You know, it's like I think about it often and, you know, I look at my husband and I just am like, you know, I let things go so much more than I used to because I'm like, it doesn't matter. You know, and one of my favorite mantras is it doesn't matter. Those three little words, it doesn't matter because, you know, we get so caught up in things that really tomorrow, you know, this morning, you know, I have my 14-year-old stepson with me and we're having some solo time, just us two, which is really beautiful. And I made him his lemon water this morning and he came out and sat at the table and he spilt it everywhere, all over our nice chair, all over the floor. And I was like, okay, you know, this is really inconvenient, but it really doesn't matter. And I was like, all right, go grab a towel. We'll clean it up. Like there's a part of me that's like, this is so inconvenient inside going, this is really annoying. This is so inconvenient. But I was like, does it really matter? Like at the end of today, like it doesn't matter. It's just water. Like it doesn't matter. So little things that we get so stressed and worried about really don't matter in the big scheme of things. It comes back to love, connection, service, helping, inspiring others. So, and I think you do a really beautiful job of that. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate that. And I think you're spot on, right? It's, it's taking it a little bit back to Wilfred is a more extreme example. It's, and, and, and also Ryan Holiday, it's the obstacle is the way, right? Sometimes actually those great challenges, you know, I, I had a, a big financial hit today, you know, significant, like tens of thousands of dollars. And I was like, and I was working out and it was, I was all in my head about it. And, uh, and I called my friend Kyle Kingsbury and we talked and he was like, that's small fries compared to what you're about to create. And I was like, you're totally right. You know, and it was just like, I don't know, it was like this small mental shift, right? Where you're like, you can obsess whether it's the water, I mean, water, I spilled coffee, you know, the smallest things to bigger, seemingly bigger things. But at the end of the day, as you said, it's, it's all small in a way, you know, it's like if you were to zoom, you know, three, five years from now, thinking back on those things, does much of what we create anxiety in our life around actually matter? The answer usually is no, one. And two, 
you know, the thing that does matter is the anxiety that we're creating that actually is accumulated over time. What does matter because that affects the greatest asset we have on the planet aside from time, which is our health during that time, you know, and the, and cortisol and anxiety, which is so prevalent now in our modern day living, you know, we've got to be warriors on the, on the reduction of stress, you know? And so, so really getting, I think, refined in our mindset around letting go that which is non-essential to our overall happiness, which is a discipline for all of us. I'm by no means perfect in that either, I think is one of the keys to long-term happiness for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So true. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's podcast sponsors, Blue Blocks. Now, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I love wearing my blue light blocking glasses every single day because they help alleviate digital eye strain, keep your hormones balanced, and help you get a deeper, more restorative sleep. I love Blue Blocks because they are backed by science and made in Australia, which means they are very high quality and not mass produced. All their glasses come in readers, prescription, and non-prescription. And you can even send in your own frames and have them add their lens technology to your frames. And for every pair purchased, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gift them to someone in need in the developing countries. How awesome is that? So to get 15% off, head to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and enter the code Melissa at the checkout. Now let's get back to the conversation. Now, everyone has a different definition of success. I want to know what's your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? Mm. So for me, you know, there's an adage. I heard it from Jason Silva, but I'm not sure who to attribute to. But he said something which was the effect of, it's a shame that we value success societally and exalt the billionaire. Wouldn't it be interesting if we celebrated those who impacted the lives of a billion people in the same way that we exalt someone who's made a billion dollars? And so for me, success is much more aligned in that way. I'm much more interested in how many lives did I touch? And to be honest, as I get older, I would like my impact to be continue to be at scale. And, and fortunately, with Global Citizen, that legacy has already been set to touch over a billion lives. But but my vision now is also, you know, going back to what I learned from the Dalai Lama is how can I deeply touch one person? You know, I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about in relationship, you know, and just after this, I'm about to interview Catherine Woodward Thomas, who we're calling in the one, you know, and it's like, what's the most valuable decision I can make? Probably who I choose to spend my life with, you know? And so I think, in some ways, my success is yet to be determined because in part, it will be a reflection of the mirror that I create in my relationship with the person I choose to spend my life with and how we, and which is one of the things I admire about you and Nick, as I'm inspired by your relationship, but how do we co-create and choose wisely in our choices? How do those choices reflect our commitment to service? And how does that service impact, inspire, and bring joy to and improve the quality of the lives of those around us. And ideally, if that's a number of lives, then all the better. But I think even if that's one life, you know, they said, I started my my career as a teacher. And the research shows that the greatest consequence you can have 
on a young person's life is literally if they have one person, one person that's committed to being their role model and having their back. And so literally, if you can have the back and if you have one person who has your back, you're set up to win. And so for me, I want to be the kind of person that has people's backs and I want to show up as a giver and be of service. That's my definition of success. And to your second question, I think success is an inside job. And I think that, you know, we correlate success societally with all of these measures that are external that I think is what the Buddhists call maya or illusion. It is it is the great illusion that we're all kind of buying, even myself. I mean, I get, I get, I, you know, I'm not by any means purporting to be enlightened. You know, we, you know, we get caught up in these external anchors that we think will bring us happiness. And, and I've had the great fortune to talk to people who've had it all. I mean, like literally have the celebrity, have all the money, had all the, you know, things that we exalt societally and we're absolutely miserable. And so I think to me, success is sourced from within. And I think it's sourced from a place of gratitude. So the more, anytime I start to get in my head and out of center, I just always, and I know you talk about this, but for me, success is literally living from a place of gratitude and continuing to come back to a place of grace and gratitude and love. And from that place, especially if it's oriented towards service, I don't think you can lose. I think everyone's set up to win. It's everyone's birthright and everyone has it already. I think that's a great cosmic joke. It's like we're on this path, think we've got to achieve something to deserve our enoughness. And the fact of the matter is we've won the lottery. The greatest wealth on the planet is clean water, is a beautiful fire, is the hand of a loved one. You know, it's 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 these things that are you can't buy that are exemplifications of love. I mean, you know, there's that saying, I can't remember the exact words, but the sun doesn't ask the, you know, the earth, you know, you know, for the gift to rise every day. You know, water doesn't ask for anything in return, yet it nourishes us. It's our most essential element. I think if we look to nature as a great teacher, as I try to do, it's about how can we show up and give unconditionally from a place of love. And if we source that within, I, I don't think there's any truer form of success. I love that. Beautiful. So beautiful. I resonate so much with that. So gorgeous. Thank you. What is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve on within yourself at the moment? You know, the one thing that I'm I'm really looking at, I think integrity to me is one of my core values. And integrity is, I think, alignment and commitment to those values we hold dear. And I've really been looking at and discerning between fun and fulfillment. And as someone who loves adventure and experiences and fun, and and I'm by no means not, uh, I'm still committed to those things. I'm looking though at where that's aligned to my values and my vision. So a a clear example of that would be, and it's interesting because I was sitting in this very seat, or actually I was cooking dinner, but listening to you, and I think it was Dr. Stephen Cabral talk about alcohol several months ago. And it was interesting because I asked myself the question, I've known for years that alcohol doesn't really serve me. But, and I wasn't like a huge drinker, but I, I just, you know, I, I did a cost benefit analysis and I was like the cost way out, you know, way out, outsourced the benefit. And so I cut out alcohol in October. For me, it's, it's the things I'm working on are looking at things like that, where it's like, it's not like it's inherently bad, but is it aligned with 
with the truest sense of what I'm committed to being, who I'm committed to being, and what I'm committed to creating. You know, I'm right now I'm looking at, friv- as I do want to call in the one, right? Like frivolous dating. Like, sure, there are incredibly compelling, beautiful humans out there, but are they aligned to what I'm committed to creating? You know, like on paper could be, you know, I'm using this ethereal 10, you know, whatever, but, but are they a 10 for me in terms of like what I want to co-create with over time? And like, given time is finite, how do I really know and work within myself to be the best version? Because I know that's the the other trick, right? It's not, I'm not going to, there's nothing to find outside of yourself. It's only in who we're being that we attract a commensurate reality. And so for me, I'm just really looking at the integrity and looking to align my choices more and more to a commitment to that aligned place. And, and to me, that's what character is. And my, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm looking to be more consistent in making decisions from my vision and my values. Mm, Beautiful. Love that. I think it's really important that we all delete the word perfect from our vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Truly, you know, because it just causes internal stress. It causes our inner critic or what I call our inner mean girl to compare ourselves to someone else. So just delete it. Just delete it and instead replace it with, I'm going to be doing my best. I'm not going to strive for this quote unquote perfect life or relationship or health or whatever it is. I'm just going to do my best every single day. That's all you can do is just do your best. Yes, I'm with you. Okay, so now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose? I only get one. Only one. Oh, man. The Alchemist is the first book that comes to mind. I think it's, you know, I think we are all alchemists. And I think that it's, I think also story. One of the things I've really been reflecting on of late, there's so many books that are prescriptive in nature, and and many of those prescriptions are are highly valuable. But I've been I've had the good fortune of sitting with a fair number of of indigenous elders of late, and what I've noticed is they have such wisdom, but they don't tell you what to do. At least in my experience, they share a story, and in that story are parables in which you can find your own answer, your own healing. And I think The Alchemist is that kind of story. And I really am more and more committed to young people, especially finding their own story within other stories, you know, with 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 the idea of the space to allow that imagination to run free. There's so many books that I think are incredible, but they're very much like prescriptive. And if I were to say one book for schools, I think that The Alchemist is beautiful because I think young people are alchemists and I would love to see them empowered in their possibility. Yes, it's such a good book. We'll link to it in the show notes as well as everything else that we've mentioned so far. My stepson, I call him my bonus son, his school, he doesn't go to like a progressive school, like he doesn't go to a Steiner or a Montessori type school. But a few years ago, they read The Alchemist. He came home and he's like, look what we're reading. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So (laughs) such a great book. So I recommend it for anyone. 
Now, I would love to hear how your day looks. And in particular, do you have a morning routine? How do you prime yourself for the day? Can you kind of talk us through your morning routine and a quote unquote typical day in your life? Yeah. So my morning routine, there's slight iterations, but the general tenets that are consistent are meditation. So I, I meditate consistently every morning. What type? So I have my own hybrids. I've st- I studied Vipassana. I then did Vedic, I th- maybe even with, with Emily Fletcher. I, 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 you may or may not have studied with her as well, but I, I remember we, we spoke a bit about meditation, but I've done Vedic. I've done Vipassana. I have my own style now where it's kind of a hybrid. I've also studied with some indigenous elders and do a various, there's energetic anchoring and a variety of tools that I've kind of modified within my practice. So for me, it's it's sort of grounding and establishing and setting protection and intention for the day ahead. I do that generally either outdoors to set my circadian rhythm. So with the sunlight or otherwise potentially with my red light here that I have at home. But I'm, I'm a huge believer in light as much as possible. I'm, I have the great good fortune of living on the beach. So putting my feet in the sands, being in gratitude to the ocean or whatever is bringing me inspiration. Yeah, I, I, I've actually recently added, which I, which I think sets up my morning, although it's not my morning practice. I actually now have a um, an evening prayer practice where I actually use a candle to pray. I've never talked about that before, but but I, but that's actually, so I start and end my day at the same place, which is in front of my fireplace, which you've actually, uh, you've been, you've been to my home, but for me, the elements are so important. So fire, water, I, I kind of return to those consistently. So my morning usually is meditation with the elements. Uh, I then drink, uh, water. I have uh, a Berkey. Um, I love lemon water. I also real talk caffeinate and i'm a fan of the uh you know i I usually have a lion's mane coffee or two to get me started and then i do morning pages so i do my journaling so i like to give myself an hour or two depending on what i need to get done to actually like move into my day before i start checking the electronics the work the emails things of that nature so so really that time to codify and crystallize my thoughts within myself before the outside world. Uh, you know, there's a great distinction I love, which is being at cause in life versus being at effect. And when you're being at cause, you are the source of creation. And I think a good morning routine allows you to be at cause before you're at effect to everyone else's agenda, you know, which I think once you turn on technology, you're definitively at effect. So that's that's largely what my morning routine looks like. In terms of my day, I, I've set up my life at present so that I don't have a, a, a rigid, regimented schedule. And so, but it, it definitively elements that are in there is exercise and movement every day. So, if one, I all, generally alternate between hot yoga one day and then the next day, cardio and weights. Sleep is extremely important to me. So, I try to get super high quality sleep and I do a lot of things, which I'm sure you've talked about and had experts on your show that talk about the optimization of sleep. Sleep is probably number one for me, but like really setting myself up to win with sleep, quality exercise. I always try to do at least some experience with people. I'm kind of an ambervert, so I'm extremely extroverted. So like this past weekend, I was at Mind Valley and, you know, out till two in the morning, which is unusual for me and like meeting all these incredible people. And then yesterday I was like, right, 
I'm, I, I know, I know myself, I've got to take this day to like refocus my energy. So I went to, to a float studio. I literally sat in salt water. I just kind of let myself, all the energetic cords just kind of like come off. I'm going to get a massage to later today. So like, just, I think also knowing again, to that season metaphor, there's certain days that it's like, I'm out in the world and if there's a, if there's if I stack several of those in a row, I know I then need to retreat within. So for me, it's more of that rhythm in my day than a, than a particular codified schedule. But I have those essential elements of sleep, rest, social time, morning routine every day. Beautiful, love it. I'm very similar too. Like I go out into the world. I'm very extroverted. I get a lot of energy and lit up from connecting with other epic humans. And then I need to go back home and then I'm like, okay, I just want to be by myself for the rest of the day or for the whole day, you know, and just fill myself back up. So yeah, I'm very similar in that way. Now I have three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Make sure that you are breathing. Make sure that you are mindfully breathing and watch your breath. The breath is probably the most essential element. And I think the one element that is often the most overlooked, and it's the quickest ability you have to reset your state. Love it. So true. Such a good thing to incorporate. Even for me, I just do alternate nostril breathing before I start my meditation. So every morning and every afternoon, I do Vedic meditation twice a day, 20 minutes. And I just do a few rounds of alternate nostril breathing beforehand. But I mean, there's so many other incredible breath techniques, you know, Wim Hof, all of those. So if you've never done any breath work, I highly recommend it. It's so powerful. Okay. The next one is what's one of the most important things that we can do for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. So I think with wealth, the greatest thing you can do is is which is in some ways counterintuitive, especially when you're in a scarcity mindset, but lead with giving. So I think the more you serve, right, that's where wealth is generated. What, where, where does your great passion and your great gifts intersect with the need of other people? And so I think the challenge, which is a bit of the catch-22, is when you're in a place of scarcity, you kind of withdraw from that. But I think whenever someone's in there, you know, I had a coach once where it was like, whenever I would get into a challenging place, he'd say, focus out. Like that was like a muscle, like literally, like if I was in my, in my head about something, buy the person behind me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Now that doesn't sound like, uh, like the mass, you know, the master plan to generating wealth. But I think the, the people that I've seen that are the wealthiest, sure, there are wealthy curmudgeons, there are Scrooges in life, but the people that are wealthiest in mindset and material wealth, in my view, are those that are always thinking about how their gift can be in greatest service to others. Mm, so good. That needs to be a quote. It's so good. <laughs> it's the truth. Mm -hmm. I know. It's so true. It is so true. Whenever I feel like I'm internally struggling, like I'm suffering, you know, and, and that's when I'm focusing on I. I'm focusing on myself. So whenever I feel that, I intentionally will go and help someone else. And sometimes like it might just be I'm at home by myself and I'm feeling this internal struggle. I'll call a girlfriend and I'm like, what are you working on? Do you need, you know, how can I help you? Or I will bake something and drop it over to a friend's house or just anything, pay for someone's juice at the 
cafe, you know, just something like that. They all just make such a difference and get you out of the way. Like they get you, the small you, out of the way so the big you can really be of service and shine in the world. Couldn't have said it better myself. Totally agree. Okay. And the last one is what's one of the most important things that we can do for love? So more love in our life, in all areas, love within ourselves, love within our relationships. How can we cultivate more love? So this is one I've been thinking about quite a lot lately. And for me, you know, I have been finding great solace and great lessons in in going into those places that I deeply love and offering. So I've been, again, I, doing a fair amount. I, I, I studied ritual with this traditional healer in Sri Lanka. And I've been sitting, I think I told you about this flower blessing with the, the, the Wadika uh, from Mexico. It's this beautiful ceremony where you're honoring the earth. And it's incredible. They literally create a beautiful flower altar to to God basically as a, as a, as a as a dedication and then they the flowers that each of those flowers is blessed over love so these four women kind of move and they take each flower and they bless it with loving intention and create this this offering to God as as it is and then these flowers are then taken and put into staffs and then each person is blessed so can you imagine having a staff of flowers that have been blessed rolled over you and it's one of the most beautiful exemplifications of love. But I think to distill it down, what it's shown me, and it's something I'd, I'd like my, my family to experience. It's like I, my parents' 50th wedding anniversary is coming up, and I'm, I want to do a flower blessing for them. And for me, it's, it's, about, that, it's about going into an, a place of offering from, from that unconditional sense of self, right? Cause I think that's what nature is as well, right? Like that's the, that's what a flower is. It's, it's like, it's nature's great exemplification of beauty in offering to us without asking or expecting anything in return. And to me, that's what true love is. It's, it's that notion of being that special aspect of yourself, regardless of how anyone else receives it, but from a place of true integrity and grace. And so for me, I look to go to nature, I sit in ceremony, I think about acts of service, ways in which I can give to return and remind myself of the love which is within me and, and the self-love, which is the source of all ability to give. But I think, you know, it's it's kind of a circle. And the more that we give, uh, and the more that we give from a place uh, of of selfless service, to, to to your point earlier, I think that the more that love finds its way back to us because it's it's magnetic, you know, it's 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 like it's it, it, love wants to find its way home, and so I think the more that you can be an offering in the way that you show up in the world, the more that love will grace you with its presence. Love is the answer, huh? <laughs> love, love is most definitely the answer. This has been so beautiful, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. You are such an example, a beautiful example of the divine masculine. And the queen that you do call in, I'm so excited for her to receive you. I'm really excited. So I cannot wait to watch that unfold. 
But is there anything else that you want to share with us? Anything that I didn't get to ask you about that you wanted to talk about or any last parting words of wisdom? No, first of all, just thank you. It's it's so wonderful to be received and to be to hear those words. And I can't wait for that person to, I can't wait to meet her myself. And I can't wait to uh, introduce her to you at some point in the, in the not so distant future. No, I think, I think this has been amazing. I'm so grateful for you and your audience for their time and their attention. And, you know, it's the greatest gift we have is, is our time. So thank you for listening. I would just say um, they should check out the conversation that you, Nick, and I had uh, on the podcast, Peak Mind with Michael Trainer, and they're interested in, in learning more about my universe, you can just go to peakmind.org or find me anywhere on social at Michael Trainer. So that's 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 it. I've, I've shared a lot of my thoughts there, but uh, I'm just grateful for the ability to have you know this hour with you and to share and to connect, and uh, I'm very, very grateful. Me too. Thank you so much. One thing that we are both big believers in is service. So how can I and the listeners serve you? How can we give back to you? What can we do to serve you today? I'll tell you what, what hits me is is to go out and commit to one offering, right? So one, whatever that offering, like a child with a flower to someone they love, whatever it is that is the stretch that can be you being in service and an exemplification of love to someone, whether that be a complete stranger on the street or committing to take that trip, take your parent on that trip or that loved one on that trip you've been thinking about or that weekend away or whatever it is, something simple. But but I would say do something that is an exemplification of love. And then if you do that and you want to share it, tag us, uh, tag Melissa and myself and let us know what it was, because that would make my heart shine. Just knowing that people went out and actually did something that lit up someone else's life. Yes, please tag us. I would love to see. And that's such a beautiful thing. So thank you so much for offering all of your heart today, Michael. It's been such a pleasure. I'm so excited for our episode to come out. We'll link to it in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here, for all the work that you do, and for being an example of the divine masculine. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Wasn't that awesome? Such a beautiful human being, so full of love, and so many nuggets of wisdom that I got out of this really has inspired me to do some more random acts of kindness and to remember to get out of my own way and to serve, serve, serve. So I got loads out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And don't forget to email a screenshot of your review to hello at melissaambrosini.com. And as a thank you gift, I will send you my wildly wealthy guided meditation. Don't forget to also come and follow me on Instagram at melissaambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading them all. And just like Michael and I mentioned, to embed what you learn in podcasts or books or at live events or from the Dalai Lama, You really do have to do things that help you remember. So whether it's writing it down or having little trinkets or things to help you remember like he does, do whatever you've got to do to help you remember and embed your learnings. 
And for everything that Michael and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 287. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You seriously rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.